0: Hey, it's Nancy. Before we begin today, I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Crime Beat early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
1: A listener's note. The following episode contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature, and may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised.
0: I think we can agree we've all been frustrated. Maybe it's a neighbor that plays music at all hours of the night. Maybe it's your pet that's finicky, needy, or won't stop barking or meowing. Or if you're a parent, you know that comes with a lot of responsibility and a lot of challenges. The issue is how you cope with these stresses. It can be the difference between life and death.
2: It's difficult to be woken up multiple nights in a row if your child is fussy or your child is sick. But I can't fathom personally any event in interacting with a child that would drive me to that point. It's it's hard to comprehend.
0: I'm Nancy Hicks, a crime reporter for Global News. Today on Crime Beat, I want to share a story of going too far not recognizing when you're at your breaking point. It's about a child whose life was silenced, snuffed out and stolen so young he never had a chance. This is Baby Daniel's story. Veteran police officer Gord Robertson isn't easily shocked or surprised. But there are some cases that weigh on his soul. Ones that he'll carry with him for the rest of his life. This is one of those.
2: That's the homicide investigator's role. You have to champion the victim. You have to embrace them and be their voice. Um, There's no more compelling place you can work as a policeman where you feel you have a duty to to the deceased and to their family, their next of kin, to find out the truth.
0: He's retired now after more than 27 years as a police officer in the Calgary Police Service. But back in 2010, it was second nature for Robertson to wake up at any hour.
2: You remember all your calls on homicide because they usually come in the middle of the night after you've only been in bed for a couple hours?
0: This call came in early one summer morning on August 9th. An infant, 26-day-old Daniel Hercheck, had been rushed to hospital barely clinging to life.
2: He's tiny, he's 26 days old, yeah. There's a CT scan, they can see uh, brain bleeding, severe brain swelling, so they have to open up a large portion of the skull in order to relieve the pressure inside. He's almost immediately put on life support and he is only on life support for a matter of hours before the doctors say that he's he's not coming back. There's these catastrophic head injuries. You know, they were described by a doctor at the Children's Hospital that the head injuries were of such severe nature that the onset of death would have begun immediately and would have been imminent. Like the the injuries were substantial enough the child started dying at the time that the injuries incurred and they weren't going to be able to turn it around with any kind of medical intervention. The doctors gave the prognosis of no recovery to the family so Shelby the mother's there. Uh, Her mother and father, who would be the grandparents, are there. And they ask if anyone wants to uh, stay with him while he expires after being removed from life support. Shelby immediately bows out and leaves. So that's left to the grandmother to hold him while he breathes his last breath.
0: Normally, at this point in the story, I would take you back. But I'm going to do this episode a bit differently because Daniel was only 26 days old. Detective Robertson became his voice.
2: It's one of those cases that haunt you. Uh, There's times where the vivid image of Daniel's autopsy or some aspect of it comes into my mind, it's triggered by something. So over a 27 year plus police career, You're going to have three, four, five cases that haunt you, so to speak, or some aspect of them. And uh, yeah, you know, it's, as a parent, it's so tragic what happened to this young, helpless child.
0: Days after baby Daniel died, I began reporting on his case. Little Daniel Herchak was just 26 days old when he died Monday after being taken to the children's hospital.
1: The initial stages of the autopsy have now been completed and the cause of death has been determined to be blunt force trauma to the head. The injuries are believed to be non-accidental in nature. As you will appreciate, this investigation is extremely sensitive and complex in nature.
0: Right now at the Herchak home, a note is on the front door directed at the media. It says, no comment, please leave the property. Neighbors tell Global News they saw crime scenes investigators at the home this week after hearing about the baby's death.
1: Such a young little thing, you know, I didn't even have a chance.
0: Baby Daniel was taken to the Children's Hospital Monday morning after the Herchak family had called the EMS. He died just hours later and by Monday afternoon homicide investigators took over the case. Right now police are still waiting for further autopsy results. Uh,
1: there are tests that are conducted on an infant that aren't necessarily conducted on an adult uh, and the results uh, getting those the results from those tests can be delayed uh, again uh, that can be a frustration to investigators and uh, family members. But the initial findings of the autopsy have indicated that the infant died of blunt force trauma.
0: Police say they've interviewed baby Daniel's family but are not ready to lay any charges yet. And just one day after that, we started to get a better picture of the circumstances surrounding this child's death. That included insights into Daniel's mother, Shelby Herchak. She was 18 years old and a single mom. Her Facebook page at the time featured a black and white photograph of her baby with the words R.I.P. Daniel Wayne Herchak, July 14th, 2010 to August 9th, 2010. Homicide detectives continue to gather evidence in the tragic death of 26-day-old baby Daniel Herchak. Police haven't made an arrest yet, but that hasn't stopped speculation and reaction to the murder on social networking sites. Baby Daniel's own mother, Shelby Herchak, has posted several comments on Facebook reacting to online speculation that she may be responsible for her baby's death. She adamantly and explicitly denies the accusations. Facebook comments also tell a story of how Herchak was planning to go out clubbing just days before Daniel died. And while the comments and gossip go back and forth online, police watch and collect information. Criminal defense lawyer Alan Heppner says all too often people are posting incriminating evidence online. And it's out there. It's not protected by privilege. It's not protected in law. And it's comments, gratuitous
3: comments made that the police can prove you said it. It's admissible. I often uh, tell clients to not say anything on Facebook, Twitter or any other social uh,
0: networking sites because you shoot your mouth off and uh, the police or everybody else can use it. The night before Daniel died, Herchak posted on a friend's page, urging her to meet up at a Calgary nightclub. The post read, come clubbing with me Saturday back alley. Call my cell either tomorrow or Saturday afternoon. Later, that friend thanked Herchak for an awesome night.
2: It was during the time that is in homicide that technology caught up so you start to look at social media you start to look at you know what's their presence on social media and stuff we learned that not only the evening prior to the event shelby's been out partying at the bar blowing off some steam and leaving young daniel in care of her, his grandparents um but she also posts that she's frustrated with being a mother she's tired of dealing with them. Um, Uh, You know, she feels like her youth is being taken away and she should be entitled to go out and party and socialize and things like this. She would have gone out probably pre-midnight on the 7th, partied into the early hours of the 8th, had care of the child through the 8th, and then this event happens the early hours of the 9th.
0: While at the hospital, the day Daniel died, Herchak gave several explanations as to what happened to her baby.
2: Her initial versions of events are actually given to staff at the Children's Hospital. She starts with having no idea what could have possibly caused these injuries to Daniel. Uh, Then she suggests to a doctor and to a social worker at the Children's Hospital that uh, she was visiting her friend earlier in the day. Uh, In one version of the story, the friend's dog hit Daniel with its tail. In another version of the story, the dog knocked the car seat off the bed in which Daniel was inside.
0: In the meantime, police kept gathering evidence.
2: Here's what we know. We know that the grandmother last interacted with the child around 10, 10, 30, and then turned over care to Shelby, and she said she's going downstairs to put Daniel to bed. What's quite significant is once you have a medical expert saying that the symptoms, the, the struggling to breathe, you know, the limpness, the unresponsiveness, would have been on set immediately, you know that with a call made at 325, you're within minutes prior to that because the injury occurs, his condition immediately begins.
0: Investigating the death of an infant is much different than a case involving the death of an adult.
2: Because you're not going to get things that you would get in a homicide involving an adult, you know you're not going to have issues like self defense or some kind of altercation or provocation you're dealing with a 26 day old infant who's not independently mobile so there's really two questions it's not a who done it it's happening within the confines of the home the first thing you're looking at is who's in care and control of the child at the time that whatever occurred happened and in this case it was never disputed that exclusive opportunity was Shelby Herjack After you realize who the only person is interacting with the infant, then you're looking at the question of accidental versus caused.
0: According to police, this is the timeline of what unfolded early on August 9th. EMS were called to the home where Shelby and baby Daniel lived with her parents. They arrived at 325 in the morning And at that time, the baby was noted to be gasping for air and limp. Daniel was rushed to hospital. He died that afternoon.
2: It's the middle of the night. It's the basement of a residence. And there's only two people there. There's Daniel Herchak, who's now died of a catastrophic injury. And there's Shelby Herchak, who's his sole caregiver and has exclusive opportunity to interact with him. So... When you're looking at most homicides, you're doing the typical, as ironic as it sounds, you're doing who, what, why, how, when, where. You have most of those answers. We don't know the how yet. We know that he's suffered a severe head injury, but not exactly how it was caused.
0: To get to the how, investigators took a closer look at the Herchak home. Detective Robertson, the primary investigator, went to the home that same night, along with the medical examiner. Dr. Evan Matches, who I'll introduce you to in a bit.
2: You still can't fully eliminate accident. You have to keep an open mind that there's not accidental cause. But in this case, one of the things that preceded the autopsy was the scene examination. And uh, Dr. Matches came out for the scene examination. He wanted to see the environment that whatever the event was occurred in and be able to, in his own mind, picture what was present there that might account for what he saw later on in the autopsy. So here's what's interesting, because you want possible causes in the environment to match up or not match up with what you see at autopsy. And uh, I was there, our crime scenes experts were there as well. And we examined the basement area where somewhere within there, we know whatever happened occurred.
0: As investigators went through the scene, Each section of the basement, along with the furniture, were examined. You have to remember, at that point, several explanations had been given to doctors and police about what happened to Daniel.
2: One of the things that we actually did in the scene examination was to lift up the carpet and the underlay, measure it, photograph and examine it. And with Dr. Matches present, he said you could hold this child up to roof height and drop him to the floor and you wouldn't get skull fractures like like we're present.
0: The following morning, August 10th, 2010, an autopsy was done on baby Daniel. Detective Gord Robertson attended that autopsy.
2: There would be mixed opinions on this from past homicide investigators and probably even current ones as to whether there's a necessity for the lead investigator to attend the autopsy. And I know there's some that don't. They're just uncomfortable with it. I thought it was absolutely invaluable because... It's not so much the printed findings of the medical examiner. You're present. You're seeing bruises on the body with your own eyes. You're seeing the skull fractures. You know what I mean? Like, even as a layman, you can see the kind of force that it's going to take or what likely might have occurred to leave what you're seeing bruises on the body and fractures in the skull. The autopsy is what drove it home.
0: I need to warn you. Details of the autopsy are really graphic. To know that these injuries were suffered by a 26-day-old child makes these details even harder to hear.
2: You could see all 10 finger bruises on the front and back of the torso. So you then have evidence that he's been firmly gripped at a point in time. Well, the skull of an infant, although the plates haven't fused yet, the bone isn't also f- fully formed, so the cartilage has a bit of pliability, a bit of flexibility and rubberness to it, and it's actually going to take more force to cause a skull fracture in an infant than it is in an adult person. His skull was essentially cracked like an egg, like there's multiple fractures running in different directions, and Dr. Matches at that point in time said, It would take extreme force to create the head injuries that we were seeing here. And he actually provided an example. He said that you wouldn't expect to see these severe of skull fractures unless the child had fallen off like a balcony and landed on concrete or been run over by a car. Like he's talking pretty extreme causes to see multiple skull fractures in an infant skull like that.
0: Detective Robertson wasn't the only one there to witness the autopsy performed by Dr. Evan Matches. His direct supervisor at the time, Dr. Sam Andrews, was also present. Dr. Matches specializes in pediatric pathology and has extensive experience investigating sudden and unexpected deaths. In 2010, he was the assistant chief medical examiner for the province of Alberta, and he was based in Calgary.
1: I was the forensic pathologist responsible for investigating Daniel Herchak's death and performing his autopsy, as well as determining how and why he died.
0: Dr. Matches emphasized the same point Detective Robertson did. There's a big difference in investigating the death of a child and an adult.
1: There's an old saying in pediatrics that kids are not just small adults, and that holds true in the autopsy world as well if you just perform an adult autopsy on a little body you're going to make mistakes and you're going to get incomplete results and that's for lots of reasons babies are different uh, sizes and shapes their anatomy and their organ function is different and how they uh, get wounded is very different in some cases than in adults and if you use the skeleton for example a baby and child's skeleton is growing softer rubberier and compared to an adult The amount of force involved or the types of force involved might cause very different things. So it's important to be aware of how different little kids are from adults, particularly when there are legal considerations. My primary subspecialty interest and training is in pediatric forensic pathology. And within that, my primary area of practice are areas related to alleged abusive head trauma.
0: I've seen one of the autopsy photos of baby Daniel's head. It's horrific. His skull looks like it's split in two.
1: I can't get to the specifics of the the fine details of what's in my autopsy report, but I can tell you that his cause of death was blunt head trauma and that I certified the manner of death as a homicide.
0: I need to take a minute here and let you know that Dr. Matches agreed to speak with me for this podcast with just one caveat.
1: So there are limitations on what I can say for two main reasons. One, there are privacy considerations. After all, we're talking about the uh, death of a person in Alberta, the death of a child. Uh, But also there are considerations because these matters are before the courts in various levels. Uh, There was a criminal case and there are subsequent uh, civil cases. So there's limitations to what I can say.
0: His apprehension in speaking with media can be explained by a series of events that began during this case. New information has come to light that could impact the outcome of a high-profile Calgary murder case. Global News has learned the issue with the case stems from questions about the medical examiner who performed the autopsy on baby Daniel. Dr. Evan Matches was the forensic pathologist at the time. Alberta Justice is reviewing some of his work. And now his findings are being looked at in the Herchat case, although Alberta Justice is not saying why. In September of 2012... The trial date was abandoned. The case temporarily put on hold. Her tax defence lawyer, Kim Ross, spoke to Global News.
3: There's been some new information that's been brought forward and the Crown and I are taking the opportunity to to look at that information to determine how or if that will affect the, the proceedings.
0: The review threw into question Dr. Match's entire reputation. In 2012, as I was reporting on the case... I spoke to Dr. Chris Milroy, a forensic pathologist based in Ottawa. You'll remember him as the expert who assisted with the investigation into the death of Mika Jordan. I'm surprised by the
3: um, suggestion that Dr. Matches lacks credibility. I know him to be a pathologist who has gone through formal training as i gone
1: through an accredited fellowship program. The work that I have seen of him has been of
2: high quality.
0: Dr. Chris Milroy even offered Dr. Matches a job at the Ottawa Hospital. He says he's surprised Matches' work is being questioned.
2: My understanding of Dr. Matches' work is that he was meticulous and thorough. It's a situation I can't say that I have ever really encountered.
0: Days after baby Daniel's murder, police revealed the cause of death was blunt force trauma to his head. That finding by Dr. Evan Matches was backed by the deputy chief medical examiner at the time, Dr. Sam Andrews. Andrews did a review of the entire case himself.
2: It would surprise me if two board-certified forensic pathologists have
0: got it wrong. Alberta Justice ordered an independent external review panel to look at 14 of his cases, the panel found his findings unreasonable in 13 of those 14 cases. In Baby Daniel's case, the panel agreed with the finding of homicide and the cause of death, but deemed his findings unreasonable because he noted there were signs of prior abuse. But then, that government review was called into question.
1: I was left with no alternatives at that point, so... My attorneys filed a suit against the government through the Court of Queen's Bench to have the matter reviewed um, in Canadian federal courts. And it was reviewed by one of the federal justices who quashed and vacated the report, meaning that the report was found to have no value and was misleading because the reviewers did not have all of the information that they needed. And I was not given the opportunity to provide it or to provide comment or clarity. And so it was completely quashed. Some redemption today for the reputation of a former Calgary
0: medical examiner. A Queen's bench justice quashed the results of a review for Dr. Evan Matches by Alberta Justice. Last year, the government said the pathologist's
1: work was found to be unreasonable in 13 out of 14 cases. But today, the court ruled that review was unfair. It also ordered Alberta Justice to pay
0: for a large portion of his legal costs. Dr. Matches explains exactly what that court ruling meant.
1: This is in the ruling and the transcript from Justice Jeffrey. This was November 13th of 2013. What transpired breached the duty of procedural fairness to be accorded to Dr. Matches and straight into a process, it would appear on this record to be directed at Dr. Matches' reputation and employability rather than any... And I use this next word intentionally, demonstrated purpose for the administration of justice within Alberta. I think that's a huge quote from a sitting court of Queen's bench judge. It meant that the ERP report itself had no validity and no value. So that judgment 13 of 14 was set aside. It no longer exists in law.
0: I should emphasize that the government review didn't dispute Dr. Match's findings that Daniel's death was a homicide caused by blunt head trauma, but rather took issue with his opinion that there was evidence of prior abuse. This is the first time Dr. Matches has ever spoken to a reporter about this review. He wanted to be a part of this podcast to set the record straight.
1: Well, it was it was certainly shocking when it happened. Um, all of the cases that they complained about went to the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta, and they held an almost year-long inv- independent investigation of those cases. And at the end of that investigation, with their own consultant, they concluded, I'd met the standard of care in every one of the cases. And from my perspective, uh, the matter was over. It was closed. The investigation was done. And then without any knowledge to me uh, in any way, they released the results of their own independent review panel, the ERP, which we didn't even know happened after the college had cleared me and after the college had said that I'd met the standard of care. So you can imagine that I was quite shocked.
0: There's still an outstanding defamation lawsuit against the Alberta government and several key players involved in that government review. Recently, another media outlet brought up the controversy again. And Dr. Matches told me it took him by surprise.
1: Frankly, I, I, I really don't understand their angle. It seems like a personal attack. I've told them as much. That is not based in the facts of what has gone on. They had very little access to evidence and information and made broad sweeping incorrect statements to the public. And I believe they've harmed the public with their docudrama. So I believe my work stands for itself and the people that know me and work with me, my commitment has always been to the truth and to doing high quality work. And I believe I've continued to do that from the first day of my career onward.
0: That other media organization has been given notice that Dr. Matches intends to sue for defamation.
1: I believe the way in which it was presented was totally inaccurate and misled the viewing public. And that the quality of my work speaks for itself. And that the medical examiner is very important in the community. But in the overall criminal justice system, the medical examiner is a very small part of the process. And what was presented really fictionalized the importance of the medical examiner to the viewer. The Crown and the police pay attention to what we say, but we're not that influential.
0: But getting back to baby Daniel's case, in the end, his findings were upheld. And he told me, even without autopsy results, the evidence in this case was overwhelming.
1: I think in the case of Daniel Herchak, if one were to review the entire factual record uh, without my observations or conclusions that a tremendous volume of evidence exists from the physicians involved in his end-of-life care that could be used to independently form opinions about how and why Daniel died.
0: Because of the controversy surrounding the government review, another pathologist provided expertise in the Herchak case instead of matches. They came up with the same findings, It was deemed a homicide and the cause of death was blunt force head trauma. The autopsy revealed two fractures to the skull, extensive bleeding, bruising to the head and face, bruising and swelling of the brain, nerve damage along the spine, bruising to the chest, abdomen and back and hemorrhaging to both eyes.
2: One of the other things in the autopsy report is retinal hemorrhaging. During my time in child abuse, you would investigate what they call shaken baby cases. And in shaken baby cases, you always saw the retinal hemorrhaging because the optic nerve is being whiplashed back and forth. There's there's room inside the head that the brain can move back and forth. And one of the things, even in a non-homicide where the child lives, albeit in an altered state, One of the things that provides evidence of a shaking is the retinal hemorrhaging. Well, we had retinal hemorrhaging present in Daniel's autopsy. So it's another piece of the puzzle where you know that Daniel's head was thrashed back and forth vigorously. You've got an injury inflicted on an infant that causes the onset of immediate death because the injuries are severe. And you have Shelby Herchak with exclusive opportunity and sole care and control. So if we didn't have access to a medical examiner and his pathological findings, we still have a scene exam. You can still say, no way, this is a drop to the carpet. So you're going to be left in a situation, if we totally, if we didn't have medical examiners available to us, you take the entire autopsy out of that, you're still left in a situation where A child in care of someone who has exclusive opportunity with them dies, and dies from severe injuries.
0: As a homicide investigator, it was up to Detective Robertson to piece all the evidence together. And he said Shelby Herchak's explanation didn't add up.
2: The evidence speaks very loudly. Yeah. There's There's an ironic, you've probably heard the saying, dead men tell no tales. Well, they inadvertently do. Because when you go to the autopsy of a dead person, what's observed speaks volumes, and probably not more so than in a case like this, where you know the injuries were not caused by them themselves. You know, an adult can have self-inflicted injuries, accidental injuries. You may see injuries that have absolutely nothing to do with the, the event that caused their death but when you're dealing with a 26-day-old infant who's not independently mobile they don't cause severe bruising they don't cause any kind of injury to themselves so you start to you have to have an evolving investigative theory as when you're investigating these things and as these pieces come to me i start to realize that the baby's been firmly grasped the head's been struck I eliminate struck by something because I know he's been firmly grasped. So I'm saying he's been struck against something. You've got the finger bruises, you've got the multiple scar fractures, and you've got the retinal hemorrhaging. So you know that his head has been whiplashed as he's being struck against something. You know, there's a coffee table, there's things like that. But the leading thing in my mind, and it fits in later on, I'll explain how, is the leading thing in my mind was there was quite an ornate, heavy hardwood, Baby set, Like the crib had like a heavy rail running across it. And the change table, the matching change table is made of a, it's a, like a heavy hardwood nursery furniture. And my thought even to this day would be that she's in, in the change room, she's interacting with him probably over, you know, she's trying to change him because he's fussing and there's a, a diaper change going on and that she grasps him, turns and strikes him off the edge of the crib, which is right in close proximity.
0: Armed with evidence from the scene, doctors, and the autopsy, police felt it was time to talk to Shelby Herchak again.
2: She was interviewed again three days later on August 12th, and that's the one where it's pushed a little bit more and you start to get this dog, this villainous dog that knocked the car seat off the bed. By that point in time, we do have the luxury of having the scene exam and the autopsy and the information gained by them. So you're looking for an explanation that's going to be in par with what matches has suggested, the suggested, that the medical examiner suggested, like some severe kind of force and something that meshes with the environment. But you have knowledge in your back pocket after the scene exam that if he had fallen asleep on her lap and she had stood up, It wouldn't have caused anywhere near the injuries you see.
0: And then another interview 12 days later.
2: When she's brought in on August 24th, uh, one of the things you do as lead investigators, you try and pick an interviewer who's given you the best chance. And the interviewer that we picked on this one, or that I picked on this one, was Detective Burke, Dave Burke. Dave Burke was very long child abuse background and also a very lengthy homicide background. So this guy had all the training, the experience to be the right person to go in there, coupled with the fact that you could tell from the previous two interviews that you had to really have a non-confrontational approach to Shelby. So I was picking the person who provided the best chance of a successful interrogation now because we're getting into an accusatory interview after we have evidence to we have a crown's approval to arrest and charge but we're taking one last ditch at an interview
0: in an ideal situation police are hoping an interview will lead to a confession
2: and we learned from the two interviews that the minute you pointed out the problems with her story or you confronted her with something she shut down and that's what she did with Dave was essentially shut down
0: Detective Robertson said, during this interview, Shelby Herchak's story changed again.
2: This is the first time she's just an accident. She said that, uh, you know, I I may have inadvertently dropped him. I think I might have. And of course, these are never, these, she almost presents them as hypothetical. I think I might have fallen asleep and then stood up and he fell off me. She never offers sufficient explanation to match up with the physical evidence.
0: Then, on August 24th, 2010, police made an arrest. This is 18-year-old Shelby Herchak in some of her final moments of freedom at the headquarters for Calgary Police Major Crime Section. The young mother is now in police custody. She was arrested Tuesday afternoon. Sources say Herchak will be charged with the second-degree murder of her 26-day-old baby, Daniel. Friends of Herchak have told Global News she complained of dealing with a crying baby while hungover on the day Daniel was fatally injured.
2: So this is a literally a 14-day homicide investigation, which is virtually unheard of. Um, that kind of speaks to how conclusive the evidence was to support our finding of a homicide.
0: Shelby Herchak was held in custody for just under a month. A young Calgary mother facing murder charges in connection with the death of her baby is now free on bail. Shelby Herchak was granted the release today. As Nancy Hicks reports,
1: even some members of Herchak's family are disappointed with the decision.
0: It's a homicide case that shocked Calgarians. 18-year-old Shelby Herchak accused of the second-degree murder of her own 26-day-old infant. Baby Daniel died of blunt force trauma to his head. Shelby Herchak has been in jail since August 24th. Now a Queen's Bench justice has agreed to her release.
3: This is a case where we have a... um a situation where in my respectful submission there is absolutely no risk to the community uh, with uh, my client being released at this time.
0: check has been ordered to live with a relative and court documents show she will be closely monitored in the community.
3: Ms. Herchak is under very strict conditions which one would anticipate should happen with a, na- a charge of this nature but she's very, basically virtually under house arrest and uh, very strict conditions.
0: As a part of her court ordered release conditions, Herchak can't be on any social network Sites, including Facebook. She's also not allowed to consume alcohol or drugs.
3: Part of the conditions is that she obviously has to do be doing something to of a constructive nature. So. Um I'm anticipating that she'll be looking at doing something, like doing some uh, schooling. It probably may even be something along the homeschooling line that she can do um, from home.
0: We spoke with members of the Herchak family who have created their own memorial for baby Daniel. They say they're disappointed with her release and hope justice will be served. Her lawyer, however, says she fully met the criteria for bail.
3: A person's presumed to be innocent and a person has a right to a trial, um, not to be incarcerated unless their incarceration is absolutely necessary right before that trial happens.
0: In the months that followed baby Daniel's death, Shelby Herchak was in and out of jail, granted bail, then arrested, accused of breaking conditions of her release, and then granted bail again. Documents obtained by Global News state Herchak was arrested for eight breaches and admitted to continuing to use drugs and alcohol while on bail, Her second-degree murder trial was scheduled for October of 2013. But then, on the eve of the trial... A plea bargain today from a Calgary mother who killed her newborn baby boy. Shelby Herchack was charged with second-degree murder, but she pled guilty to a lesser charge. Nancy Hicks has the story. And it comes with a warning tonight. Some viewers may find the details disturbing. The baby's mother, 22-year-old Shelby Herchack, was charged with second-degree murder. But now she's pled guilty to the lesser charge of manslaughter.
3: Essentially what it was was a, a manslaughter plea that she didn't intentionally cause the death. of The child was a result of an unlawful act that caused the death.
0: Herchack admits she had gone out partying with friends the Saturday night before Daniel died. Baby Daniel had multiple fractures, his skull split in several places, Daniel's brain was swollen and the nerve roots along the spine were torn and bleeding. He had bruises on his chest, abdomen and back. Doctors also found that a prior brain injury that was one or two weeks old was already healing. According to an agreed statement of facts, it would take severe force to cause the type of head and neck injuries Daniel suffered, with likely more than one impact. Herchak admits that while alone with the victim in the early morning hours of August 9th, 2010, she applied force to the victim causing the fatal injuries. But what we may never know is exactly what Herchak did to cause those injuries that wasn't included in the agreed facts read out in court.
3: It saves everybody the whole process of going through the whole the whole process and and uh, it just I think what it did today was bring it down to what the whole matter was was, you know, she pled guilty to what it was.
0: Herchak remains in custody. She's been ordered to undergo a psychological assessment before sentencing. Detective Robertson told me the plea deal took him by surprise. He was shocked the agreed statement of facts didn't include Herchak admitting to how she caused the fatal injuries.
2: Honestly, we'll never know. And it's never been revealed even to date exactly what he was struck against to cause the injury.
0: Nearly four years after baby Daniel was killed, in May of 2014, a sentencing hearing was held for Shelby Herchak. The prosecution asked for up to eight years in prison. Defense admitted four or five years was appropriate and argued she should get enhanced credit for the time she spent in remand. At her sentencing, her aunt spoke to the media and said she had previously offered to help her niece with baby Daniel. Her checks defense told court the baby was killed in a spontaneous reaction to a stressful situation. But family of the young victims say there was help for Shelby Herchak, and the death was preventable. The
3: Wednesday before he died I told her she could come to my house and I would help her if it was getting too much because he cried too much.
0: Herchak cried Wednesday as she told the court, I should have reached out for help when there was a helping hand instead of turning it away. If I had, none of this would have happened. She went on to apologize to her family and the court, I basically shamed the community, I've shamed myself. Susan Lloyd left court Tuesday disappointed. She was hoping for an eight-year prison sentence for her niece. Instead, Shelby Herchak was sentenced to five and a half years in jail for the manslaughter death of her baby boy. But with credit for time already served, she has just two and a half years left.
3: Two and a half years doesn't seem like enough time.
0: Her check was given extra credit because much of the time she was in jail was in 23 hour a day segregation. But she was only in jail after breaching conditions of her bail. The Crown was opposed to the extra credit and had argued for a harsher
3: sentence. It breaks my heart to know that she could have inflicted that kind of damage on a baby. He didn't do anything to deserve that.
0: Hurchak, who's 22, cried as the judge handed down her sentence.
3: I think they were tears of relief. She's glad that this is all over now. It's been a long uh, road for her and an emotional one, and so I think she's happy to see it come to an end and and you know, put this behind her and move on with her life.
0: Hurchak's aunt doesn't believe she'll heed the judge's advice to further her education and seek addiction's help.
3: I think we'll be back here again. Thank I really you. do.
0: As I outlined in my coverage of this case during the trial, the agreed statement of facts was thin. And because of that, for this episode, I used parole documents to triple confirm a lot of the facts as presented by police and the medical examiner in this case. It was during Herchak's time in prison for manslaughter and through her dealings with the Parole Board of Canada that she shed further light on what happened that fateful morning. The board noted Herchak provided various explanations of what happened to baby Daniel and what could have caused the bruising and head trauma, none of which were assessed by medical professionals as credible to explain the significant harm. The board said, and I quote, "'Your claims of a short fall from a bed "'or being struck by a dog's tail "'did not align with the severity of the injuries,' File information indicates the blows and impacts could have resulted from either an object striking the head or the head impacting against a solid object. You later admitted to dropping the victim. You were struggling with settling the victim down and were frustrated. You report experiencing a blackout and admit you must have dropped the victim but cannot recall the incident. The board said... That story changed while in prison. Quote, You say you were an addict at the time and were unemployed and uneducated. You say you were wrong to think you could take on that responsibility of a child at the time. You say you were binge drinking leading up to the index offense. You were hiding your drinking from your family and did not reach out to others for support. On the night in question, you said you were unable to calm the baby And therefore, being angry, you dropped him on the ground with a force. When questioned further, you said you threw him down, causing the injuries. You say you did not speak to anyone about your violent actions till about three years later. When the child stopped crying, he was gasping for air. And so you took him upstairs to your mother. You immediately had difficulty accepting what you had just done and were wondering how you could have done something so violent. You said you had told your lawyer about your actions and that there had been previous accidents where you would shake the baby and handle him roughly. You started dealing with what actually occurred when you came to this institution. Since attending counseling, you have been dealing with your issues one at a time, including how you dealt with other people in your life. On August 11th, 2015, five years after baby Daniel died, Shelby Herchak was released on day parole. She had conditions to follow and was ordered to report her relationships and friendships with men to her parole supervisor. She was supposed to remain employed or pursue academic upgrading and not associate with anyone involved in crime or the drug subculture. And she wasn't allowed to consume, purchase, or possess drugs or alcohol. But soon after, her day parole was revoked. According to parole board documents, Herchak's attitude rapidly reversed following release. In a written decision, the parole board stated Herchak, and I quote, reported having been in a relationship with an incarcerated offender who was determined to be serving time for a violent offense. The board said it had significant concerns and questions about her honesty. The decision also stated that Herchak quit her job and was found to have poor emotional control, She presented as extremely impulsive, immature, and anxious, and refused to participate with psychology. A warrant was issued and executed on September 28, 2015. After her check reported, she ended one relationship and began another with a person who also had criminal involvement. In a post-suspension interview with the Correctional Service of Canada, Herchak apologized for her previous poor emotional control. But she went on to deny much of her previous disrespectful behaviors and again blamed her parole supervisor for her problems. The written decision is lengthy and goes on to call her behavior deceitful. The board ruled she would present an undue risk to society if released, That was the final decision made in her case and the board recommended she be kept in custody until the end of her sentence. I did reach out to both Shelby Herchak and her aunt to see if they'd be willing to talk to me for this episode. I had a phone chat with her aunt and she said she'd think about it, but she didn't end up getting back to me. However, Shelby Herchak did She sent me an email with the subject line, no thank you. In it, she said she's not interested in doing an interview and asked that I not cover her case at all. She went on to ask me to refrain from contacting any of her family members. Gord Robertson is a father. That's one of the reasons why this case has weighed so heavily on him.
2: It's difficult to be a parent. It's difficult to be woken up multiple nights in a row if your child is fussy or your child is sick. But I can't fathom personally any event in interacting with the child that would drive me to that point. It's, it's hard to comprehend. I do feel that I got him justice within my ability and the limitations of my role in the system.
0: Robertson feels Daniel's death was preventable.
2: There is lots of help out there for young mothers. It kind of came up during the course of the investigation all the options that she had. She had an aunt who was offering to help her or take Daniel or anything that she never she never took that up. She had her parents. and then there is all kinds of other social resources that are available.
0: There is help available including a National Parent Helpline run by the Simon Fraser University that provides a listening ear, support, and guidance to parents and caregivers who are upset or troubled about a family issue, have parenting-related questions, or just need someone to speak to. The Government of Canada also has some resources available online. In the US, you can call the National Parent Helpline at 1 855 4 parent, And if you're in a crisis situation, please call 911. Crime Beat is written and produced by me, Nancy Hickst, with producer Dila Velasquez. Audio editing and sound design is by Rob Johnston. Special thanks to photographer editor Danny Lantella for his work on this episode. I also want to thank our production assistant, Ryan Robinson and thanks to Chris Bassett, the national director of content and editorial standards for global news. I would love to have you tell a friend about this podcast and you can help me share these important stories by rating and reviewing crime beat on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen. If you have a question about one of the episodes, send them my way. You can reach me on Twitter at Nancy Hickst, on Facebook at Nancy Hickst Crime Beat, and I'd love to have you join me on Instagram at nancy.hickst. That's N A N C Y H I X T. Thanks again. Please join me next time on Crime Beat.